Welcome, welcome, welcome. I would like to welcome you to another episode of the Unpopular Podcast. This is the man, the myth, the legend, Jalen Hunter. And if you do me a favor, please subscribe to whoever you're listening. Please subscribe to whoever you're watching. It definitely means a lot to me. As these playoffs are shaping up, we talked about matchups last episode. What I want to do this episode is I want to talk about the 10 players that are most important to their teams winning the playoffs. There doesn't mean that these players are, quote unquote, the best players on the team. It just means that these players, these are the 10 most important players to their team success or to their team uh, either winning or losing. And why do I want to start this? I want to start this because there are four series going on right now that is drastically different. From Golden State to Memphis, Miami, uh, Philly, Phoenix, Dallas, and Milwaukee and Boston. There are multiple different storylines on each one. And you're starting to see since, you know, we're either two or three games into this to the series that there are. Yes, the team is is the ultimate team, of course. But these certain players are extremely important to their team. And if they don't play well or if they don't show up, they're not going to win. That's just what we see. That doesn't mean that – again, that doesn't always mean it's the best player. The best player may not be – the best player may be doing what the best player does. And it could land on this list, but – there's also players that's going to be on this list that may not be the best players, but it's very important for them to play well for their team to win. Let's start with number 10. Number 10, I have Draymond Green. I have Draymond Green at 10 because Golden State currently, as we speak, is in a 1-1 series or tied up series with Memphis. And... This has been like this probably since, what, 2015 when Golden State really started their run that Draymond Green has been the heart and soul of their team. Draymond Green, while he is not the best player on the team, while he is not, you know, considered a, a, a superstar in the league, Golden State would not be as successful if it wasn't for him. And you see you see it with their plus-minus defensively on the floor. You see it with their plus-minus offensively on the floor. You see... Draymond Green's imprint on Golden State in droves when he's on the floor. And like I said, when you have unfortunately now that Gary Payton, the Gary Payton the second will, will be out due to the uh, fracture and ligament damage in his elbow, Draymond Green's defense is ever more important, especially when we're talking about going against John Moran. Now, I understand Draymond Green is not going to be guarding John Moran uh, unless he gets switched on to him or something. But Draymond Green is the is the conductor that of the defensive orchestra that is Golden State. So Draymond Green, if he is not on the floor, if he does not play to the best visibility, especially defensively, especially, especially as a leader, then Golden State has no chance of winning. Uh, and you, and that has been shown throughout 
his career. I mean, look at 2006, 2016 when uh, you know the Cavs ultimately came back from a 3-1 deficit. A lot of that was due to Draymond Green getting getting suspended. Uh, also, uh, of course, Bogey going, going out with injury, Andre Gudala, but the catalyst was mostly Draymond Green getting hurt. I mean, no, uh, getting suspended that game. So fast forward to now. Golden State depends and needs Draymond Green to play well. And that's and for their deep because they 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 are now that Gary Payton is not playing, uh, they are very thin defensively. So Draymond Draymond Green lands on my list at number 10. Number nine, I have Jalen Brunson. No, Jalen Brunson is not the most important player on the Mavs. He's not the best player on the Mavs. But we're seeing Luca do what Luca does. He scores incredibly. He's a great, he's a great score. He's a great. He he searches mismatches, mismatches, and he just goes crazy. Uh, I think the first game he had like 40, 40 something point, forty five points. Second game he had like thirty six, thirty seven. Luca is who Luca is. And what we're seeing in the Mavericks Dallas series is that Mavericks Dallas <laughs> Dallas Phoenix series is Phoenix knows this and Phoenix knows that there's nothing they can do offensively to stop or slow down Luka from scoring the ball. Well, what they can do is they can hunt Luka on defense because he's not he's not really the best defender, and they also know okay. We're going to let Luca's going to do what he does. We have nobody that can really stop Luca. Yeah, Miles Bridges is what I think finished second or something in defensive play of the year. Okay. <laughs> we he's not even there Luca is is punishing everybody that's on him. Let's not nobody else can go off. Nobody else can go off. Spencer Dinwiddie maybe had a good game. Uh maybe had, I think game 2 he was he had a good game. But we're Phoenix saying we're not let any we're not letting anybody else go off go score. That's when you need Jalen Brunson. Jalen Brunson was incredible in the Utah series. A lot of that was due to the fact that Luka Doncic wasn't on the floor due to uh, injury. But they need Jalen Brunson to be the Jalen Brunson that was in Utah. Now I understand in quad as is kept. I don't remember who said it. I don't remember who said it, but this is an original thought. It's not easy playing with a superstar, especially a ball-dominant superstar, because the ball has energy. And while I'm not saying that, you know, the superstar only holds the ball and never passes, but Luka is a ball-dominant superstar. Back in his Houston days, James Harden was a ball-dominant guard. Kyrie Irving's a ball-dominant guard. It's hard to play with with sometimes it's hard to play with a player like that when you need the ball in your hands as well. And I don't know, like I said, like I said, we saw the best Jalen Brunson when Luka Doncic was out. The problem is you need that same Jalen Brunson when Luka is in against Phoenix because Phoenix has two guards right now that are going absolutely crazy. So number nine for me is Jalen Brunson, and honestly. If Jalen Brunson does not come up, come to play, if Jalen Brun if Jalen Brunson does not turn or 
get back to how he was playing against Utah. Dallas has – I don't think Dallas has a shot in the first place, but Dallas for sure does not have a shot. So I have uh, Jalen Brunson at nine. At eight, I have Devin Booker. <laughs> Phoenix is probably the most well-oiled machine in the league right now. I think they. I, I, it kind of feels like they took the loss from you know the loss in the finals last year, and they use it for fuel. And you see, when Devin Booker is not in the game, compared to it's kind of like I go back to my my. North Carolina and Baylor example. When people ask how Baylor in the in the in the March Madness play in the national tournament, people ask how was it that Baylor was able to come back from like a twenty what seven point lead or twenty seven point deficit and ultimately force North Carolina to go into overtime. And I told them it's because when you have two guards on the floor that can create their own shot that can create for other people it is extremely difficult compared to when you have one now yes chris paul i've heard uh, all we're hearing this week is chris paul this chris paul that which is true chris paul will go down in my opinion as a top five point guard of all time i understand people says but what about the championships okay but Phoenix looks drastically different with Chris Paul and Devin Booker on the floor. Devin Book, Chris Paul is about to be, I think Chris Paul is 37 at this point. People forget Chris Paul is pretty much the same age as LeBron James. And they're just two drastically different players. And yes, they're both intelligent. Yes, they're both future Hall of Famers. It's just two drastically different players. Chris Paul, while yes, he does have some incredible games and he is probably one of the best players I've ever seen pace themselves in the middle of a game. As far as he'll look, I'm not going to say trash, but he'll look pedestrian the first three quarters. The fourth quarter, especially against the Mavs, he's been going crazy. But Chris Paul has gotten to a point in his career where he can't constantly be the, he can't be the primary scorer night after night after night, which is why I have Devin Booker at eight because – when Devin Booker's going crazy and Chris Paul's going crazy, it's a long night for any team. So, while yes, Chris Paul, we'll talk about Chris Paul is going to land on this list. Spoiler alert! But I have uh, number eight. I have Devin Booker because when Devin Devin Booker's offense, especially because he's the he's one of two players on that team that can really consistently put the ball on the ground and get their shot. So I have Devin Booker at number eight. Number seven, I have Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum is on that. I'm not going to automatically say he's there yet, but he's on that superstar status when it comes like the trajectory he's on. While, yes, Jalen Brown, when Jalen Brown, Jalen Brown had a great game in game two uh, of the Milwaukee Boston series. He had a great game too, and he was he was a big reason why he lost, why they won the game, why they won that game. But if you look at every single win, especially in the playoffs, in dating back to the the first series against Brooklyn, most of the time, most of the games that they win, Jalen, I mean Jason Tatum has a great game. Jason Tatum is he is taxed 
with doing the impossible at this point. And that is matching the energy, matching the pace, matching the effectiveness of Giannis. Yes, you have Jalen Brown, but Jason Tatum is the one they're going to look to. And Jason Tatum is their is their best player. Jason Tatum is their their star. So you're expecting a star to match a star. The one reason why Brooklyn didn't win the series is because KD, for whatever reason, did not match the star, did not match the play of Jason Tatum consistently in the series. I think he did like the last game, maybe the first, but that's about it. Jason Tatum has the task to match the energy, to match 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 the production, match the defense, match the offensive scoring of Giannis Antetokounmpo. And what does that mean? People, what does that mean? Does that mean that Jason Tatum has to go in and match score for score Giannis? Like if Giannis scores, Jason Tatum has to score? No. Does that mean if Giannis gets four blocks or gets an incredible block, Jason Tatum has to do the same thing? No. Does that mean that if Giannis has five or 15 fast break points, Jason Tatum has to have 15? No. What that means is Giannis's impact on the game or his impact on his team winning has to be the same impact that Jason Tatum has. Doesn't mean that he has to do the same thing as Giannis, but he has to have the same impact, whether that's Giannis will impact defense and scoring. Jason Tatum can do the same thing when it comes to scoring and assist or scoring in defense, shutting down another player. Because one thing that we saw in game two is Boston did a good job containing not only or not on, containing the rest. You know, when we and that's why I said that the, Chris Middleton is a huge loss for for Milwaukee. And that's why I'm kind of on the fence between who's going to win this series when Giannis does not go off nobody else really does and that's big so i have jason tatum at seven because they need him to match whether again whether that's match the energy whatever they just need to they need him to be a star they need him to be the star that we saw uh that we've seen of course rise since he's been in the league but a star that we saw in in this first series against brooklyn so i have uh Jason Tatum at seven. Number six, I have Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler, his he has such an infectious, such an infectious personality that spreads throughout the the, the Miami Heat. Now, Miami Heat has always had a culture of, you know, tough nose, this and the third, when they had D. Wade, when they had Shaq, when they had LeBron, uh, Chris Bosch. They've always been the tough-nosed team, the, t- the team that's going to get down and dirty, the team that's going to do this, is going to do that, uh, going to do whatever it takes defensively to win the game. And nobody really embodies that in the entire league, honestly, more than Jimmy Butler. And, yes, Tyler Hero, congratulations for winning Sixth Man of the Year. He's been incredible. Yes, P.J. Tucker defensively, when we talk about his defense on James Harden, when we talk about his defense uh, when he gets switched on to Trey Young in the first series, 
he's been incredible. Yes, Bam Adebayo has been incredible. He's been a Swiss Army knife for for uh, Miami. Victor Oladipo has come on and been incredible. And I, and shouts out to Victor Oladipo. We know his his long journey back from injury, but none of this is especially with Kyle Lowry being out, none of this is possible without Jimmy Butler. Now, I'm not saying that Jimmy Butler is most important. He's not sixth on my list because of his offense. He has had some incredible offensive games this this, uh, playoffs, but it's mostly his imprint on the entire team, whether we talk about personality, whether we talk about defense. Jimmy Butler has been that important. And this team, even with Kyle Lowry being if, if Kyle Lowry was – if the roles were reversed, of course I don't wish any injury on anybody. But if the roles were reversed, meaning Kyle Lowry was playing and Phoenix and uh, Jimmy Butler was not, I don't – I think that Philly would have a better shot than they did with Jimmy Butler playing in Kyle Lowry. And that's no offense to Kyle Lowry at all. Kyle Lowry, even though I may not like him personally, it is what it is, but – Kyle Lowry is still a, a good, especially def- defensive guard. But you can just look at the the identity of of Miami and just see Jimmy Butler throughout. And Jimmy Butler is so important. Again, Miami is so good that they don't. Their go to score, <laughs> their go to score is a sixth man, and that is. Tyler Hero. That should tell you everything you need to know about about uh, Miami. Jimmy Butler is so important. If Jimmy Butler does not come to play, especially defensively, and has that ruggedness that that permeates throughout the the team, then they're not going to win. So I have J- uh, Jimmy Butler at six. At number five, <laughs> at number five, I have Stephen Curry. Now again, this is not a list of the best players on the. Let me not say that because this is not a list of like who has been best to worst. This is a list of who's the most important, and this is why I have Curry at number five. Curry ultimately is the best player on Golden State. That is, that's no debate. Um, <laughs> Curry will go down as arguably a top 10 player ever depends on what happens throughout the rest of his career if he does absolutely nothing else for the rest of his career he in my opinion will go down as a top 15 player so ultimately Golden State runs as, Go- as Steph Curry runs now Steph Curry at the end of the day Again, you are your best player, and the team is their best player. And when Steph Curry has a great game, usually Golden State has a great game. Now, I, I'm gonna. I know this is kind of cheating, but this is kind of a blanket statement. Or this is kind of a blank. Number five with Curry being number five. This is kind of a blanket pick. What do I mean by that? While yes, I have Curry at number five, I really mean the the three-headed guards for Golden State. So while, yes, Curry is the best player out of all that, and you're going up against a, a Memphis team that is young and that can match you guard for guard as far as what one thing that Curry lacks, uh, one thing that Curry has, jo, you know, John Morant might lack. But one thing John Morant has, Curry might lack. Same thing with Klay Thompson and um, – Desmond Bain, same thing with Jordan Poole and Dylan Brooks, uh, even though Dylan Brooks is suspended for game three. 
Curry has to be the Curry that we know him to that that we know he can be. The Curry that can go six for ten or seven for ten from three. The Curry that can you can look up and he there's a difference between loud and quiet points. Let's look at Steph Curry and let's look at uh KD. KD can have a quiet. Let me not let me let me define this before I say this. What I mean by quiet. KD can have a quiet 35 points. And what does that mean? Yes, you're going to feel every single well, yes, you're going to notice every well, no, let me say this. How do I put this in a way that can understand? You can look up. You you know, you're looking at KD. You know he's having a great game. Like KD's having a really good game. You can look up and like, wait, KD has 35? That is a quiet 35 to me. And I'm not saying quiet to disrespect like the um, the magnitude of a 35, but it's like, oh, shoot, Kurt, KD has 35 points? I, where did he score 35? Like that is the type, that is what I mean when I say KD has, he's able to have a quiet 35. Now, of course, KD can also have a loud 35, but KD, to me, he is the ultimate quiet point getter. And when I say ultimate quiet point getter, that's no disrespect to the points. That's no disrespect to him. That's just saying he gets it so effortlessly at times and that you're just marveling at him. You don't realize just the volume of which he is scoring. You don't realize, oh, KD has 50 right now or he has 48. And then when you look back, it's like, I only remember like five shots. And he has 45. That is that's that's the what I mean by quiet points. There is no such thing as quiet points for Steph Curry. Steph Curry will come three three steps past half court, pull it. He'll break somebody down, go past them, lay the ball up. That Curry does, Curry has a loud 35 points. And along with Draymond Green's defense, Golden State is is fuels off those those electric points but this is why i also said that number five which is i i cheated on my own list number five is more of a blanket statement because let's talk about clay thompson clay thompson has struggled mightily in this series uh with memphis he struggled mightily with he struggled mightily with defensive now I understand that it's 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 you can't expect someone that has missed two years to lower extremity injuries to come back and be the same defensive player that they were. Honestly, it's 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 crazy to think that someone can come back and be the same player they were offensively as well after missing two years due to, you know, ACL and Achilles injuries. But that's what they need from Clay. Not saying they need the 37 points in a quarter. Not saying they need a 61 points with uh, on 11 dribbles. They don't need that. What they need is they need Clay Thompson to hit open shots. And Clay Thompson has had a lot of open shots, and he has missed a lot of open shots. Now I do think that a lot of that can change, and he can play a lot better. Now he has some. Ha- he has had some good games. He has had some 30 plus game, 30 plus point games in the playoffs. But they need that against this 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 Memphis team. And he has not been able to provide that. Now, that could just be because he is playing at home or he was playing away 
maybe that changes when he's at home, but Golden State needs that because while Curry can have a great game, Draymond Green defensively can have a great game. You need somebody else that can that can run, that can walk with them. You need and, and it goes back to Jordan Poole. Jordan Poole, he has been getting torched defensively. The whole the whole team is pretty much been getting torched defensively. But if you can combat that with the scoring, and now he didn't do a uh, Jordan Poole did a great job game one, didn't do a great job game two, which is why the series is tied at this point. But number five, I have Curry as uh, most important most most important players to their team's playoff success. Uh, but that's I kind of have that as a blanket as far as Curry, Clay, and Jordan Poole, especially with Gary. And, and who would have thought that Gary Payton the second would have been so important? But especially when we talk about his defensive impact, he is huge. So they're definitely going to need them. Number four, I have Luka Doncic. Now we talked about Jalen Brunson earlier. Luka Doncic, you can't look at the sheer volume of scoring that he does. You can't look at the sheer impact offensively that he has. I mean, I think he averages more points in the playoffs than than Michael Jordan does. Like that's just who Luka Doncic is. You can't contain this man. But Luka, but. As much as we praise him, as which which rightfully so, he deserves the praise that he gets. Luca has to be better defensively. There, yo, it is clear as day that Phoenix is searching for him. I have never seen this before in my entire life. I've seen it once. I've never I've seen it once where a team will look for a superstar. I've seen it twice. A team will look for a superstar or look for a team's best player to destroy them on de- on defense. I've seen this three times in my life. I saw this. I'm seeing this now with what Phoenix is doing with Luka Doncic. I saw this in 2016 when the Cleveland, shout out to Cleveland, they would, anytime somebody had the ball, whether that was LeBron James, whether that was Kyrie Irving, they would call for a ball screen. Whoever Steph Curry was on, they would call for them to come do the ball screen. They would they would try to torch Steph Curry, which they were. I mean, after the three one lead, I mean, there was one game. What uh, both uh, LeBron and Ky- Kyrie both had forty one that game. Like they were torching Curry. And two thousand eleven, I believe it was. My LeBron James first year now yet in Miami, you know, yes, they didn't win the championship, but on when they were playing Dallas in the finals, every single time LeBron had the ball, he wanted Chris Bosh to set the pick. So uh, Dirk Nowinski was guarding LeBron. It's very smart, very intelligent. But those are the three times where I can blatantly see, oh, they're going at. A super, they're going at the superstar. So back to now, while yes, Luka Doncic has been incredible and he can't really do much better offensively. He can limit the turnovers, but he needs to be better defensively. Now, I understand that it's probably, I mean, you know, it's outside of maybe Giannis and and uh, Hakeem, Hakeem Olajuwon. Foreign players aren't really known, especially when we talk about like the Mono Ginobili's and Luka Doncic and and uh, Nicole Jokic, and boom, that's another one. Oh, thank you. Thank you, God. That's another one. Last series, anytime 
a guard had the ball, anytime anybody that can put the ball on the ground had the ball for Golden State, they would say, yo, if Nikola Jokic is on him, kill him. That's exactly what it was. So four times. That's, that was good. But, yeah, foreign players, the foreign players outside of, like I said, Giannis and and Hakeem Olajuwon, they're not really known for the defense. So I don't know if that's just going to change. It's definitely not going to change overnight. But Luka has to be better. They – and this everyone from Chris Paul to – to uh from chris paul to to devin booker to miles bridges hell even cam johnson like they need cameron like pain luka Doncic has to be better but luka Doncic he's number four on the list because there's just a sheer amount of volume of scoring that he brings to dallas you can't really match that with anybody so have him at number four <sighs> Number three, I have Chris Paul. This kind of the same way I talked about Devin Booker earlier. Chris Paul, just how, just the way Phoenix looks completely different with Devin Booker on the floor and Chris Paul. I mean, with Chris Paul on the floor and Devin Booker off the floor, they look drastically different with Devin Booker on the floor and Chris Paul off the floor. Chris Paul is their is their he's their leader. Chris Paul is, of course, their veteran presence. Chris Paul is one of the greatest point guards of all time. He's able to control the game. He's able to control his team's uh, intensity needle. He's able to control the team, of course, because he deals so much. He orchestrates so much offensive movement that that can't, really can't be duplicated but with anybody else. And Phoenix... Is firing on all cylinders when Chris Paul is playing incredible and Devin Booker. And while Devin Booker is great for, you know, being able to put the ball on the ground and 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 create his own shot, he's not the best at orchestrating an offense for other people. Well, insert Chris Paul, who was one of arguably the greatest to do that. Uh so I have Chris Paul at number three. Uh he's he's Phoenix will not will not win a championship this year if Chris Paul is not on the floor. That's just how it is. That's that's how it is. And I think they understand that too because we saw what they looked like, even though they were able to maintain, which was in the regular season. We saw what Phoenix looked like with Chris, with Chris Paul off the floor. So I have Chris Paul at number three. Number two, I have John Morant. Now there has been arguments that's gone on recently on social, you know, social media, on sports debate talk shows and stuff. Is John Morant the best player in the series? And uh, for you know the 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 Golden State Memphis series has is he the best player? Um. Yes. <laughs> now. We're just talking about current. Shouts out to Jalen Rose. He said it. We're talking about this current season and this current time. John Morant it has been the best player in the Golden State Memphis series. I mean, he's averaging, what, 40, 40 points a game like in this series. John Morant, this team goes, I understand that people are going to say, well, they were like 20 and 2 without John Morant in the regular season, bro. And I don't know if you've noticed, but... Memphis, how drastically, how drastic the change is from when John Morant comes off the court and on. 
Like it is. Oh man, it just feels. I know. I know they're the youngest team, pretty much. In actually, I know pretty much they're the youngest team in the playoffs, but they play like it. <laughs> it's even with Ja, they play like it. But Ja gives them the shot. Ja is the one player on Memphis that nobody on Golden State can has an answer for. I mean, Gary Payton the second slowed him down a, a tad bit, but no, he like I said before. Steph Curry is the greatest shooter of all time. John Morant's not even close to the shooter that Steph Curry is. On the flip side, John Morant is one of the most athletic guards we've ever seen. Steph Curry is nowhere close to athleticism. So, John Morant, there's nobody because Clay Thompson, you know, he's not fully back from, of course, being the Clay Thompson of old. He has not been able to keep up with John Morant. Do not even if. Jordan Poole has nightmares at night if he gets switched on to John Morant. Like, there's nobody on Golden State that that can slow down John Morant when he gets ahead of steam and when he gets going. In fact, that's why you see if 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 Golden State loses, right? Because John Morant say he has 45, but out of those 45, John Morant hit 10 threes. You're just gonna shake his hand and be like, "Hey, that was the game plan. It is what it is." But if John Morant has 45 points and 30 of them points is is off layups, then you did something drastically wrong. So, you know, that John Morant is has been that player for this series that nobody has an answer for. Not a player. And when you have Jaron Jackson Jr., just he's been scoring well, but he's just done has has had some of the dumbest fouls I've seen. And he fouls so much, kind of like what Carl Anthony Towns was doing the first series. He just has some of the dumbest fouls I've seen. Desmond Bain with the whole back injury. Uh, I don't. I, it seems like the back is is hurting him, and and hampering him from being the Desmond Bain that could, should have possibly won the six. I mean the the most improved player of the year. Uh, outside of that, you know, Dylan Brooks. He's been god awful this entire time. And now again, he's suspended for game three, but games one and two, he wasn't good at all. So and actually, game two, he only played like three minutes. So. John Morant, this team. If John Morant does not have a good game, it's over with. And I am, I am curious to see what happens when they go to Golden State. I'm still going to pick Golden State due to the experience. But what I saw the first two games, I mean, think about it. Game one, Memphis had a shot to win. John Morant missed the missed the missed the um missed the game winning layup. Game two. It was called the officiating was kind of crazy, but John Moran had what forty seven, and they win by six. So I, I'm, I'm interested to see how how they play going to Golden State. But I have John Moran at number two because looking at this Memphis team, especially from the first series and now, uh, with how experienced and and some of the players when you have, when you're looking across and you see Steph Curry, when you see Klay Thompson, when you see Draymond Green, when you see this new and improved Jordan Poole, you need someone to come correct and that has been John Morant. So I have John Morant at number 2. And number 1 is Giannis. <laughs> I mean, Giannis is the the outlier in this entire equation is the outlier in this entire NBA at this point. There's nobody, at least in this point, at least at this point in the NBA, there is nobody that can match what 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 Giannis does. 
the impact that he has not only on his team but on the game in general. Uh, I mean, we've seen him. We talk about loud and quiet points, right? There is not a player on this on this on this planet that has louder points than Giannis. When we talk about dunking on, even a simple dunk that a simple dunk to Giannis, he just makes it look crazy. Like there is nobody that has louder points than Giannis, and <sighs> as we saw. Game one of the Boston-Milwaukee series, Giannis had a great game. I think he had a triple-double. Uh, I think it was the second career triple du- or second career playoff triple-double, I believe. And they won. They won quite handily, honestly. Second game, he was forcing more. They didn't. He, he didn't play well at all. They got destroyed. So, number one, and it's, it's kind of number one in a in a far gap is Giannis. Not and it's not just due to talent. It's especially with Chris Middleton being out. You're asking a lot more, especially on the scoring aspect of Giannis. Now, don't hear me say that and think, oh, they never asked Giannis to score. No, I'm not saying that. Or don't hear me saying that Chris Middleton is a better scorer than Giannis. I'm not saying that either. I will say that he is a better shooter than Giannis, and he's a better player at you know that mid-range turnaround shot or mid-range pull-up or three-point pull-up, but Milwaukee, the, the only reason why they have a shot, in my opinion, to beat Boston is because of Giannis. And if Giannis, like we saw, if Giannis does not play well, they lose. So that's that's my list uh, of the top 10 most important players to their teams. Now, you're probably asking yourself, Jay, aren't you missing like maybe one or two players like that? You mean Joel Embiid and James Harden? I know what you mean. Joel Embiid has been arguably the best player in the league this year. Um, And I do think it is important for him to play, uh, especially with the orbital fracture. Uh, Now he did come with the mask, so, you know, we'll see how that goes, but... And I feel like for the last few episodes, I've kind of been piling on James Harden, which is why I didn't want to do that this episode. Uh, but you would be completely blind if you're not looking at what you're looking at from James Harden and think to yourself that this is not this is not the same James Harden that we've seen. You know, he's clearly lost a step from I don't know his injuries. I don't know what it is, but he's clearly lost a step. And. Going into the series with with Miami, the only shot that they had, in my opinion, was if you had a top of the top, if you had James Harden playing at his top notch. Now, not exactly Joel Embiid, because I think I think that they would play Joel Embiid sort of the same way that or sort of the same way that Phoenix is playing Luca. As far as hey, there's nothing we can do with Joel Embiid. There's nothing. I mean, Bam Adebayo is like six nine, six ten, so he's not doing anything with seven foot Joel Embiid. We, we're not doing anything. It's just everybody else. And I saw what Miami did to Trey Young, 
And I think that they could have done, they were going to do the same exact thing with James Harden because, again, we're seeing a diminished James Harden. I don't know what it is, but it, that just is. So the reason why he's not on my list, which he, he could very well have landed on my He could have been an 11, but I don't think they would have won with, with or without. I think that Miami is just, yes, we talk about the flashiness and, and how, of course, Joel Embiid for, for Phoenix, Philly, but – I don't – Miami is, is a great team, and I don't think that there's nothing that James, James – I think that this is the James Harden that we're seeing. We've seen this James Harden since he went over to Brooklyn. So I don't think we're getting much else. We're not really changing much else. So that's my 10. Uh, let me know who you guys feel is on your 10. So, uh, yeah. <sighs> so the WNBA started last night, and – I'm excited for this is the 26th season, I believe. Uh, I'm excited for the WNBA being back. I'm excited to hopefully my Washington Mystics go on a run and and of course win this year's uh, WNBA championship. But we've heard a, going into every season, there's always a wave of players that get waived. Um, top players in the, in the not top top, but very key players like this year it was Tia Cooper she got waived um there's a lot of players that get waived i think about 40 something players got waived this year and you hear people like uh uh, uh Bumake going on and say that there's you know there's no way that top draft picks don't land on or don't make it on rosters like that's crazy like think about that think about there's a possibility where the number 10 draft pick the number 10 draft pick on a team gets doesn't even land on the team like gets waived that's how little of an opportunity that you have in the WNBA so what I wanted to do since we're we're on this list uh, on this list train, I wanted to give my top five ways to improve the WNBA. The WNBA is is supposed to be a showcase for the like the NBA. The NBA is a showcase for the best basketball in the world. There's nowhere that you can go in this world to and, and definitively say that this league or yeah, this league is better than the NBA. The NBA is the top notch is the top of the top when we talk about stardom when we talk about talent of basketball players and that's what the WNBA is supposed to be but we see time and time again that that's not ultimately the case you have really good players and and leagues that treat their players better overseas you see uh, players that are hesitant to want to come back to play for the WNBA because they may get paid more uh, overseas. They may get more notoriety in overseas. So the WNBA is not the place, excuse me, to that really showcases their stars as much as they should or really showcases themselves as the best basketball league for women. It just doesn't do that. So here are the five ways I think that they need to improve. Number five, I think they need to rework the college uh, college to WNBA rules. For some reason, which I understand, I understand with the with with the amount of teams that are in the league and hell, people that are, are getting drafted still don't still don't need some of them don't make the roster. But 
you have to stay. If I'm not mistaken, you have to stay in the in the college. If you're if you're a woman basketball player, you have to stay in college for like three years before even considering going to the WNBA. Now, when we see people like Paige, uh, Paige Becker, when we see players like uh, Aaliyah Boston, when we see players like like Zia Cook or Zia Cook, these players are good enough to be in the league after their freshman year, but they're not able to. So you, so I think that'll bring now that rule, of course, is going to go alongside some of the other rules that I have, but or other change improvements. Let me not say rules, improvements. That improvement is is going to coincide with some of the other improvements. But yeah, there there should be no reason why if you can see a player is clearly ready to play in the WNBA after their freshman year or maybe their second year, why are you why that that is such I, again I get it I get why it's here now, but that is such an element. An, an old way of thinking like these players are the best of the best like that basketball as that is all time high when we talk about talent there is a i mean <laughs> basketball is so good P- these these kids are so good whether it's men or women's basketball there is a man that has one hand one arm people know who he is has one arm that is Damn near, possibly can make it to the NBA. That's that's how cold he is. That should show you the skill level that the league that that basketball is producing at this point. There is a woman, I don't know her name, so shouts out to her. But there is a woman that, and and I understand it's different, of course, for professional and non-professional. But there is a woman that goes to local uh, gyms, posts posts up a, a, a camera, and be killing dudes. That shows you how how talented, and that's not even a professional. That shows you how talented there, you know, people are playing basketball at this point. So there should be no reason why, if you see that a college athlete that is a, a young lady is good enough to be in the WNBA her freshman year, there should be no reason why she can't go after her freshman year. I understand why, but let's let's continue on my list. Number four. Of five ways to improve the WNBA is marketing, marketing, marketing. For the life of me, I don't. People talk about my podcast, right? Every time I go out and ask, "Yo, how do I improve the podcast?" Nine point five times out of ten, somebody tells me marketing. Somebody tells me you need to market yourself better. You need to market the podcast better. You need to be marketable. I can say the same thing for the WNBA. Now they have done, they have done, they've been better leaps and bounds over the years. Now I think that a lot of that is probably due to the last year was, of course, their twentieth anniversary or twenty fifth. I'm sorry, anniversary. But they just need to do a better job marketing, man. There should be no reason, and I get that, and I respect them for the fact that it's more accessible in a lot. I mean, you can watch a WNBA game on Facebook Live. You can watch a WNBA game on Twitch, I believe. You can watch a WNBA game on Amazon Prime. But just do more, just do better marketing. This is the same problem that I have with uh, with with the MLE in baseball now, or MLB in baseball. Now it's not as bad. It's not as bad. 
as the as baseball, but market your players better. You know, mark the fact that a lot of people don't under. I mean, when you look at let me see the team. All right, let's just let's just talk about my team. Let's look at the Mystics. Why don't we highlight Elena Deladon more? Why don't we highlight? We talk about the Sparks. Uh, the Nabumake sisters. Why don't we highlight? Uh, I mean, of course they highlight Liz Cambage because of her uh, infectious personality. But you just need to market yourself better. Need to market yourself. Like what? I know that this usually happens after the NBA season or towards the end of the NBA season. But why don't? Well, actually, usually after. But why don't you have uh, Wednesday night games on on TNT or? Or stuff like that. I just feel the marketing can be better for the WNBA. You need to... there. It doesn't always have to be... Well, marketing is definitely financial. But it doesn't always have to be huge things. It's just small things. Market yourself better. Shouts out to people like Highlight Her. Shouts out to people like, uh, you know, Monica McNutt. Uh, Christine Williamson. Uh, uh, Tykira Carter. Uh, uh, Janae Rochelle. Uh, Ari, Ari Ivory. Uh, Jasmine Brown. These are some of the women that are front line, front line trying, you know, always hyping the game up, always putting it forward. Well, they should there should be more people. It should be more you know, the WNBA should, in my opinion, do a better job on the social team. They just do it. Not saying they're not doing a, a good job. Shouts out to y'all, but just do a better job marketing, in my opinion. That's number four. Number three. Now, this was an argument that that was uh that was kind of big throughout the summer, especially when we talk about the New York Liberty. Improve the travel for every team. There should be no reason why. Again, we talked about this a while ago, but there should be there should be no reason why WNBA players, superstars in the WNBA, takes regular regular flights. If I if I went from Washington to to California, there is a chance that I could be on the same flight as Elena Deladon. That should never that should never happen. Like imagine imagine being on the same flight after a after a game against the Knicks. Uh Brooklyn is going to, to play Golden State next. Imagine being on the same you looking you looking right and you see Kevin Durant on the on your flight. Just imagine that. This is the top of the line. This is supposed to be the top league, and you don't have private planes now again i understand money but i think that there was i think the owner of the um of the new york liberty was willing to pay for everyone to get private planes like they're huh improve your league improve your league improve the now they've done they've done great jobs they've done an incredible job and shouts out let me before i keep going shouts out to the improvements that the wnba has made you know with the whole pregnancy uh being out uh over the years with no more one and duns because that was crazy um shouts out to uh they they're expanding the the season to 36 games i believe shouts out to the improvement that they are making but they need to make more and one of the biggest ones is improve the upgrade the travel. Again, there should be no reason why a WNBA player has to pay out of their own pocket to upgrade to first class. That's crazy to me. Let alone be on the same flight as people like me. That's just crazy. So that's number three, man. Number two, and shouts out to Chenea Bumake for pretty much saying it. 
They needed to develop a G League. Now, I understand the cost and everything. I understand. I keep saying I understand, which I do. But, I mean, change ain't going to be made until change is made. Like Janae said, there are – there was like 40-something players that got cut this year. That's literally not on the team. And unless you go play overseas – or get picked up for like a hardship a hardship contract, you're not going to be playing. So why don't you develop a league so they can go? Why don't you develop a G League so they can go and play and then you can pick them up? Like say someone gets hurt and you can pick them up. Or so you'll know that they're playing. Like why don't you get an affiliate? Why don't you get a WNBA affiliate? Why don't you get WNBA affiliates like the, I don't know, uh, the the affiliate for the Philadelphia 76ers is like the 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 66ers or something like that. Like just develop a G League. It can be, I mean, I think the the, the WNBA did like the Athletic Unlimited, like that league or something like that. Something like that. It's just there should like like there should be no reason why top draft picks get cut and they they're they're searching to figure out what the hell I'm gonna do next. That's that's crazy. Develop, not to mention the fact that you you can create more. So you develop a G League, kind of like what the NBA is doing. Some people just bypass college and now go to the Ignite. It's, you can do the same thing. Paige Becker, say you, you don't think she's ready. You can draft her after after a sophomore year or, or a freshman year and have her play in the G League for two years. Like, there's just ways that you can do this. That's all I'm saying. And number one, and that's to me the obvious one, number one is expand to either 16 to 20 teams. I think there's there's 12 teams in the league right now. Meaning, I don't know if people are good, you know, geographically, but that means that every state does not have a team. Now, I'm not saying that it just go from 12 to 30. I'm not, I'm not saying, or 12 to 50. I'm not saying, well, of course, not 50, but I'm not saying go from 12 to what the NBA has in 30 or 12 or what the NFL has in 32. What I'm saying is expand it to 20 teams. Again, it goes number one and number two are kind of like hand in hand as far as why I'm saying that they should be here. There should be no reason why top talent, 40 something women, you 40 something women gets gets weighed from a team. Uh, usually. In the, in the NBA, if you're not ready, if they don't feel you're ready, if they don't feel like you're good enough to make the final roster, they send you to the G League. The G League is made up of a lot of people that maybe didn't get drafted but tried out for the G League or players that aren't really ready for the league yet. But they just don't wave them and just say, hey, go figure it out. They try to develop them. Well... That goes with number two, develop a WNBA G League. But number one, you wouldn't have as many players getting waived if you had 16 to 20 teams, not just 12. And on those 12, you hold like 10, no, you hold like 13 roster spots. What what sense does that make? So... I want to see that now <laughs> I'm not saying the WNBA is not uh, flourishing. That's not what I'm saying. The WNBA has has grown leaps and bounds since the days of the monarchs and and, uh, you know, teams like that. 
the storm and, and stuff, the, the league has done leaps and bounds. The league is usually front and center when it comes to social social justice issues, when it comes to racial issues. The league usually does a great job at stuff like that. So shouts out to the league. I just feel that there's and they and people feel too. They're just there needs to be change in the WNBA, especially when you see talented, top talented people that you just drafted not make the team and get waived and get cut and, and now you gotta figure something out. It's just not right. I just want to see the league flourish to the best of its ability. And while, yes, the initial, some of these initial plans, like the G League, like expand to 20, you know, 16, 20 teams, there might be a loss at, at first, especially when we talk about money-wise. But I'm staying, when you look, people love basketball, bro. Hell, did you see the national, the Women's National Championship, how they had like a sold-out, a packed arena? In fact, the whole tournament People were interested in, in in women basketball. People are the 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 WNBA championship when it was Chicago and I think the Aces. Any of the Aces, like people were people are invested in stuff like that, man. So, um, or Connecticut, I think it was Connecticut. No, it was it was somebody, but I know Chicago won. It, it's just I understand that there, you you may take a loss the first few years, you know, with the G League, or you may take a loss the first few years. Uh, expanding to a 16 to 20 team league but overall it's going to help the product and overall after those losses you're going to see huge gain in my opinion so that's 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 you know that's my uh that's my that's my uh five ways to improve the WNBA so um, moving forward, I'm not going to stay on this long. Uh, Antonio Brown's comments on Colin Kaepernick. Shouts out. Antonio Brown was just on a podcast. I think it was called the Cigar Podcast. Shouts out to them. And he said, you know, like Colin Kaepernick, he was comp- or there he was comparing himself to Colin Kaepernick, saying there's no comparison. Nobody messes with Colin Kaepernick. He took the deal. Um, he took the deal and left. I be in these trench. I be in the streets. This and the third. First and foremost, I think it's always funny that people always refer to when, when when they talk about Colin Kaepernick and not being in the league anymore. A lot of people refer to that deal that he that he uh, that he came to an agreement with with the NFL. The funny thing is, the only people that know about the the whereabout or the know about the particulars in that deal is uh, Colin Kaepernick and his team in the NFL. Nobody knows what the hell was on the deal. Nope. I think people are assuming that the deal says, hey, you sign this deal, you go away, never come back. I think people are assuming that, and that's not the case. Like, Actually, I don't know what the case is. Nobody knows what the case is except for Colin Kaepernick and the league. And all that we know is that he signed a deal with the league. To Antonio Brown, um, bro, Colin Kaepernick was blackballed out the league. You literally took your stuff off and got to go midway through a game you guys are not the same you say colin kaepernick's trash this that, and a third you and colin kaepernick are in the same position not in the league so um i'm not i'm not gonna really just talk about that much more i don't agree with it i think one thing that kind of irritates me is again I, I kind of try to mind my business but one thing that kind of irritates me is where's the people that 
we're like saying Aaron, you know, Antonio Brown was right for doing what he did, you know, when he was on the Bucks, taking off his his clothes mid game and then, you know, peace signing out. Who were those people that are saying? The people that were saying he was right. Where are the people? Where, where are y'all at? The people that usually, which is funny, they usually are loud when an athlete, when they feel an athlete is under marginalized or, you know, marginalized, which I understand. You know, black people, you want to defend, we want to defend our own, especially when they feel like they're being attacked. I get that. But. And I'm not here saying that we as black people or anybody has to project when somebody's wrong. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that we are here to bash people. I'm not saying that at all. But there has to be someone that says, Ayo, AB, you got to chill. And there could be someone. He's just not listening. But at some, at, the, at that point, we have to stop putting him on platforms to allow some of the rhetoric that he spews to be put out there. Doesn't mean that we don't support an African-American. It just means that we are not going to let him spew whatever the hell he wants to spew on your platform. That's just, that's just what it is. So, but that's all I'm saying on that. Uh, lastly, unpopular opinion of the day. I told you guys last episode that I'm going to do unpopular opinion of the day every episode. Uh, last episode, I kind of torched Larry Bird and uh, Bill Russell. This unpopular opinion of the day is kind of focused at um, leagues in general. So we just came up on the 20th anniversary of the famous Allen Iverson press conference where he uttered the famous line, we talking about practice. Practice. Now, that will go down in history as one of the most iconic press conferences ever. But it will go down as one of the most iconic press conferences ever because you had a superstar pretty much saying we're talking about practice. You know, that, and that those, those words will never be, you know, never be more poignant than when Allen Iverson said it. Now, I will come come on. People that know me know Allen Iverson is a huge influence, not only in my life, but in the basketball community as a whole. In fact, I will argue that he is the most influential player ever that to touch a basketball court. Hell, I even have a tattoo of Allen Iverson on my arm. Not not of his face, like Allen Iverson jersey. But why is that press conference so important to me? That press conference shows beautifully how much we really don't know about athletes outside of what they do. Stars in general. But because it's a sports podcast, I will keep it to athletes. We don't know much about athletes outside of the sport they play. And what I mean by that, and why do I talk about this press conference that happened nearly or just that happened 20 years ago? Because it wasn't the fact that he was talking about practice. It was the fact that his closest friend just recently passed away. 
the Philadelphia 76ers just lost. So the last thing I want to do is talk about freaking practice. That's the last thing I want to do. Especially, and it shows, even, and he clarified it after. Like, yo, my man's, you know, walk a mile in my shoes. My best friend just died. We got bounced out the playoffs, and y'all are talking to me about I should, I should do, you know, I should be better in practice, the star player. So it really shows how much little we don't know about players. I mean, outside of their sport. Hell, this is coming off of, I mean, think about what we've seen recently. Just how tough it was to watch the Michael Beasley interview. Shouts out to Ryan Clark and the Pivot uh, podcast, but how tough it was to watch the Ryan Clark interview. Or watch Cam Newton when he was on more than an athlete, pretty much playing to that he does he feels he deserves a job. So what is my unpopular take? And it's it shouldn't and to me it shouldn't be that unpopular, but I feel that sports leagues should make it mandatory. Should make it mandatory to have for their athletes to have to go to therapy sessions. Because Michael Beasley says something that I've heard before, but it ringed differently when he said it. You can't a per a ten people that make ten dollars will never understand people that make a, a million dollar problems. He says something to the offense to the you know to close to that. Which shows we don't know what these athletes go through. I mean, think about it. Kevin Durant, there's no way in heaven to hell. <laughs> you can walk down the street, look at Kevin Durant, think, is that Kevin Durant? Like, he 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 will stick out like a sore thumb. LeBron James sticks out like a sore thumb. Even though he's shorter, Steph Curry sticks out like a sore thumb. Patrick Mahomes sticks out like a sore thumb. Let's, I just, you don't know the scrutiny they deal with. You don't know what they deal with at home. You don't know what they deal with in the front office. You don't know what they deal with on the teams. You just know that you expect your players, you expect your favorite player to go out there and perform at the top, top level, which I get. You're a fan, which is short for fanatic. But I think leagues should make it mandatory and they should provide it too they should provide every league every team every every league should pay for mandatory therapy sessions because i can't imagine somebody that comes from the trenches comes has never had you know that's that's experienced poverty their entire life to go from having nothing to having millions of dollars do you know just how many people that affects? That affects them. That affects the people that they think are their friends. That affects their actual friends. That affects the family members. That affects the family members that they ain't really seen in years. That affects a lot. That affects their community. On that one person. Do you know how heavy that is? You ever done a presentation? Like a school presentation? And get no money for it, but a school presentation, and you understand how heavy that is on your on your on on you, or if you're at work wherever you work, shout out to your job, and you have to like do a work presentation, and you understand how heavy that is on you. Imagine waking up one day having nothing. <laughs> 
I'm not gonna say nothing. I mean, having nothing. Let's just say nothing. <laughs> then you turn around and have millions, and everyone knows you have millions. What is what is, what is the famous line on a uh, on lottery ticket? I'm broke, nigga. I'm broke. But you have the power to change that, Kev. That is such a heavy burden, and it really shows. Outside, I mean, I don't know what the nobody knows outside of their inner circles what these athletes go through, which is why I turn it back. Shouts out to Allen Iverson, my personal sports hero, my sport, my personal sports influence. He is the reason why I am in this sports realm. He's the first person. Shouts out to my mom for getting me Allen Iverson Celebrity Classic when he used to do the baseball games up at the Bowie Bay Sox uh, Stadium. I was able to go backstage and he was able to sign some autographs for me and a whole bunch of kids. Alan Iverson changed my life. But that does, that also show that also we don't know nothing about this man's life. We don't know nothing about any athlete's life. And while we be killing, I, I, I mean, Stephen A. Smith been going crazy about Kyrie and Ben Simmons. And this isn't me attacking Ben Allen, you know, attacking Stephen A. Smith or attacking anybody that has some negative say about athletes. But let's just remember that we don't know them. We know what they do, but we don't know them. Just like if you roll up at McDonald's, I know you as far as you making me my 10 piece chicken nugget. But I don't know what you're going through. I don't know why you're working at this job. I don't know what you struggle with. I don't know what you go home to. I don't even know if you go home to, to a home. And we have to keep that same energy with stars, with, with athletes. And because of the and, and because of the the burden that every athlete, especially every athlete that makes an absorbent amount of money, has to go through, I think, in my unpopular opinion of the day, is sports, and I think it's unpopular due to the fact that how people a lot of people view therapy. Personal note, man, therapy was the, probably the best thing I've ever done in my life. Therapy helped me in so many ways. Therapy was so important to me, especially having to figure things out in life when I had no direction of how to do it. Yes, I'm a very spiritual person. I, I know I, I trust God. I believe in God. But on the surface level, therapy was the biggest, was the most important and the best thing I ever did in my life. And I don't have nearly the problems that athletes go through, especially athletes with an absorbent amount of money that come from a organ or come from a family or come from a, 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 a environment that is poverty stricken. So I think that leagues should make it mandatory and provide therapy for every athlete. Make it mandatory. Make you gotta have a therapy session, whether that's online or 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 whether that's in person, at least once a week. And if they don't want to do it, they don't want to do it. But at least you are doing. There should be no reason why you see Michael Beasley struggling and crying on a on a on a uh, on a podcast. There should be no reason why to this day we still talk about Allen Iverson's uh, press conference when he said. You know, you talk about practice, which is it came on. The, this is the 20th anniversary yet. And still nobody talks about the fact that he also said, oh, his best friend just died. Leagues should make it mandatory and no leagues should provide mandatory therapy sessions for every athlete. 
from the from the the best player to the to the the bench guy. You should league should provide mandatory therapy sessions weekly, and that's my unpopular opinion of the day. There you have it, man. That's been today's episode. I appreciate you guys. If you want to pop up the podcast shirt, hoodie, sweater, long sleeve, joggers, the link is in the description below. I have multiple different colors, multiple different designs. Support the podcast. Get your own popular podcast merch today. Also, please subscribe to whoever you're listening. Please subscribe to whoever you're watching. I'm trying to get the algorithms going. I'm trying to get more people to listen and watch the unpopular podcast. And I can't do that without you guys' help. So I appreciate it. And I hope you guys enjoy. I will see you guys again on Wednesday. And until next time, much love.